Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Case, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. This is another very, very special episode. It's another live stream episode for those listening afterwards. Um, I'm really pumped about it. I have with me Dr. Dustin Crummett, and we're going to be talking about the simulation hypothesis uh, just in general, and then simulation solution to natural evils. Can we use the simulation hypothesis to uh, answer problems of natural evil and subsume those under free will defenses or something? And then um, just broach on a new logical argument for God's existence, an argument from mind, and specifically psychophysical laws. And then how does that interact with the simulation hypothesis? Like, do those laws actually... Uh, get past the simulator to a god so i'm stoked this is like everything that i love talking about so i'm very excited before we jump in uh with dustin though i want to thank everyone who's making this podcast happen on patreon i want to thank everyone uh, who subscribed on youtube and who give super thanks and super chats you guys are awesome uh if you've benefited from this podcast personally then please consider becoming a patreon patron you can find a link in the description wherever you're listening to this at or you could give a super thanks down here somewhere. Uh, you just click the button and you can give for whatever amount you want to. Just a little tip to say thanks. So that'd be huge too. Um, but without further ado, let's just pull in Dr. Crummett here and let's get going on a couple of his papers. Dustin, thanks hey. so much for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, like I said before we started recording, you're, you're a natural. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Usually my puppy uh, bounces in, so uh, the, the audience is used to animals coming through. Uh, Dustin, man, before we get into uh, a couple of your papers, uh, I always like hearing from my guests, how how did you get into philosophy and why did you want to become a professional philosopher? Hmm. Yeah, I guess I was always sort of interested in philosophical questions, I guess, um, even before I really understood of had any conception of philosophy as a, a distinct discipline or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and so I was always interested in thinking about this stuff. Um, and I kind of wondered, how do you do that? You know, for a while I wanted to be a novelist because I knew there were people who wrote sort of philosophical novels and that sort of for stuff. Sure. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, one of my teachers gave me the book Sophie's world uh, okay. about philosophy when I was in high school. And I thought, oh, philosophy is very interesting, but I still didn't have quite a concept that it was something that people still do. Mm -hmm. um, so I still didn't have any concept of like, ah, I should be a philosopher. Um, so it wasn't really until college I took some philosophy classes and I thought like, oh, wait a minute, this is actually this thing that I'm interested in anyway, that kind of eats away at me anyway. You know, I could just do as as my job and you know, <laughs> try to do it as well as I can. And, right. Um, so that's kind of how it happened, I guess. Okay. Um and then you did your uh, dissertation at Notre Dame, is that right? Mm -hmm. And what, what what was the topic? Uh, distributive justice. Okay. So it was about economic economic equality. Basically. Yeah. So that's what I thought. And then you write papers on like philosophy of mind stuff and like simulation stuff. It's like it's so cool, man. Um, how come you're not trapped in one subdiscipline? How how are you able to get past there and, and write on different stuff? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, there are a lot of things I'm interested in. And so if yeah. I'm interested in some question, I try to learn about it. And I guess, you know, I've been able to produce work that people found publishable or whatever. Um, 
it, it's probably not very good career-wise because it makes you <laughs> seem like you're just a dilettante. You know, you can't yeah. tell this coherent narrative about this is my research program and right. this is where I'm going and blah, blah, blah. I'm building up a name in a specific subfield. Um, so it may be like prudentially bad, but I don't yeah. know. It's always just kind of... Uh, the rest of us love it. So we're yeah, I, mean, I, kind of, I, I guess I kind of feel like... If if you're really that worried about maximizing your career opportunities, you it, it, this is sort of too late to do that, right? Like that, <laughs> the, the time for that for that was before yeah. uh, becoming a, a professional philosopher. That's um, right. So I, yeah. yeah, I just kind of work on whatever I'm interested in. And okay. Usually, that stuff having to do with ethics or political philosophy or religion or film mind sometimes. Yeah, which is fantastic, man. So um, you got this paper. I initially wanted to talk about uh, uh, the psychophysical uh, harmony paper, and I want to get to that as well. But I, ha I have uh, your co-author Brian Cutter coming on to talk about that as well. So I was looking over some of your other papers, and I saw this simulation solution. And I was like, "Dude, finally, someone's you know." I haven't found a whole ton of, of like journal articles on this stuff. There's some, um, but uh, connecting it to like philosophy of religion type stuff is fantastic. So the paper title is the real advantages of the simulation solution to the problem of natural evil and you're responding to barry dainton uh who uses utilizes the simulation hypothesis to solve natural evils oh uh, how did this come about like how how did you find this or think about this or want to to do work on this uh i remember well i remember how i had the idea um mm -hmm. there had been this news article about elon musk saying that he thought that we were in a simulation yeah. Uh, and I already, you know, had thought about the simulation hypothesis and stuff before, but I, I happened to remember that article mm -hmm. while I was sitting in church because, you know, you're in church and sometimes it's kind of boring and you're thinking about other stuff. Always uh, for me. Uh, yeah. Right. Sorry, and, Pastor. And, and so suddenly I had this thought like, oh, well, you know, if the simulation hypothesis was true, then natural evils could be explained in terms of the simulators and blah, blah, blah. Would that be interesting? Um, and so I, I looked up, has anybody talked about this? And Barry Dayton had like a little subsection in one paper where he mentioned this. Yeah. Um, and David Kyle Johnson had a paper where he kind of talks about it and makes fun of the idea a little bit, but nobody had actually defended it at once. So I thought, yeah. sorry, that's my cat. That's your cat. <laughs> uh, I thought, um, uh, I would write a paper defending it and I started writing it and then I got distracted. I thought I have plenty of time. There's no way I'm going to get scooped because this is such a dumb idea. Like nobody else is going to work on it. But then Barry Dayton wrote a whole paper. So he kind of scooped me. Yeah. Um, but uh, then I thought, well, actually, you know, I had already been developing it in kind of different directions. And I thought, oh, what I've been thinking about actually solves some problems with uh, what he says. Yeah. So I, I fixed it up and, and published this paper. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, 
you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nice. Well, this is so cool because I've, I've been thinking about this. I wrote uh, in my theological training, uh, I would write a lot about this for uh, Kevin Van Hooser. And he he, would, he kept on bringing up like, what about the problem of evil on the simulation hypothesis? Like, how do we explain that? And he would always press me on that because people always press him on the problem of evil because he develops this authorial analogy for the god world relation god's like an author and people always go well then he's the author of evil you know so he would press me on that for simulation so it was so cool to see that you'd been in this space as well um let's let's go with like what for those who don't know a lot of people will know a lot of my audience will know i guess but let's just talk about like simulation hypothesis in general like a la uh bostrom can you lay out do you have those three premises on on top of your mind Oh, yeah. So, I mean, what the hypothesis is, is it's it's kind of like the matrix. The thought is maybe we're, you know, in some sort of simulated reality, except in the matrix, you have like a physical organic body and you're just plugged in. Right. Whereas the simulation hypothesis is we maybe we are ourselves part of the simulation. We would be like AIs who think that they have organic bodies. And I mean, it's a little tricky, but um so, uh, yeah, that's what the hypothesis is. Why would anybody take this seriously at all? Well, Bostrom has this argument for it. Um, and the argument is basically this. Think about what he calls a post-human civilization. So this is a, a civilization that is as technologically advanced as it seems it's possible to be. More or mm-hmm. less, right? They can do all the stuff that's permitted by the laws of nature through technology, as far as we understand. Um And he says, look, such people might be interested in making what he calls ancestor simulations, very detailed computer simulations of what things were like for more primitive people or something like that, uh, like us. Um, And, you know, that might be based on their own history. It could also be based on, you know, let's see what was what things would be like if the laws of nature were different or let's see what things would be like in some crazy fantasy world or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And they might do that for research. They might do it as part of a big uh you know world of warcraft type game where you can play and the npcs are super are super realistic you know all all sorts of stuff they could do right um uh and he says given the sorts of technological and he does a bunch of calculations to show this given the sorts of technological abilities they would have if they wanted to run these simulations it would be trivially easy to do it right you could just, uh, what would things be like in this case? Well, let's just run a billion simulations and it'll right. take three seconds. And, you know, okay. Um, uh, well, um, now you might get a little worried though, um, because we have this philosophy of mind question about whether really, really well simulated people would actually be simulated, would actually be people, right? Yeah. Like a, an AI that is, you know, a perfect recreation of a person would it be conscious in its own right? And, you know, could it, could it be like me, right? Have all my same experiences that I'm having. Um, And if that's right, 
then it suddenly looks like, oh, wait a minute. Um, in the scenario I've just laid out, the vast majority of people who think that they're living in some crappy primitive society like mm -hmm. I do um, actually are simulated people. They're not people in base level reality because they're, mm -hmm. you know, they're probably running trillions of these simulations. So it's like minuscule chance that you're really in base level reality. Um, so Bostrom says, assuming substrate independence, this idea that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're made out of silicon or uh, organic material, if you are, you know, organized in the right way, uh, you have the right abstract structure, you're going to be conscious. And so uh, an AI will be conscious, just like a, a human being will. Uh, assuming that, then we can deduce either civilization never reaches the post-human level, we die out first. Yeah. Or we can deduce people in such civilizations are not interested in running ancestor simulations. We probably would be, but they won't be for whatever reason. Who knows? Immoral or yeah, whatever. Or we can do, or we can deduce. It's like overwhelmingly likely that we are actually in a simulation. Yeah, uh, and so that's his argument. And he doesn't conclude that we are in a simulation, but he thinks, well, you know, you can't be sure that one of these other things is right, and so you should at least think it's a, like a real possibility that we're in a simulation. Yeah. I think he also, I, I believe in that paper, maybe in another one, he talks about nested simulations where it's like within the simulation, because they would be so advanced, they'd, they'd be like ours. And in ours, if we can imagine making a simulation. So now you have like simulations almost all the way down. There's one base yeah. level of reality, but yeah, it with could all be of these the simulated, things. The simulated people start making simulations yeah. and then you have simulations within simulations yeah. within simulations. Um, I always think of uh, The Office with uh, uh, Dwight made a uh, second life and then he made second second life <laughs> within the, and it's like that's just keep going all the way down so then like yeah the 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 thought would be since most uh most conscious beings in the universe are simulated beings with like a indifference principle um yeah. you should think that you are one of them most likely yeah um i i just initially before we get in on on uh evil stuff do you do you think a uh, substance uh, independence thesis, do you, do you think that's a good thesis? You, do you follow that yourself? I think that's probably right. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, if you, if you really imagine, you know, there was like this Google chat bot and of course it, it's really, that's just sort of a pattern matching program. But like, yeah. if, if there was really an AI, you know, like data from Star Trek or something like, I think if he was around, I think we really would think that he was, he was a person like us. Um, yeah. And there are probably some, you know, theoretical reasons to think it kind of makes more sense to think that the law, the psychophysical laws are going to attach consciousness to something about abstract structure rather than, uh, you know, sp the specific thing that you happen to be made out of. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to know, of course. I've never, I've never been a robot as far as I know. <laughs> right. Um, uh, I, I think it's probably right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Too. I think so, too. Like, because uh, an alien, you know, shows up and, uh, you know, and then we got some theological issues or they made the image of God type stuff. But um, if, they could, if they could talk to us, if they could translate or whatever. They did some advanced thing, but they were made out of water or, you know, no. some other part of like some other element. Uh, and they're still talking. They, they have different. Yeah, they have different minds, different substrate than us, but they can. They're still rational beings. Yeah. It seems super yeah, it's, likely. Yeah, or, I um, mean, some. Some, sometimes people think there's some connection between substrate independence and physicalism or something like that, but I don't, yeah. I don't see that at all. I mean, it could well be that the AI has, 
it's instantiating some non-physical uh, properties or it's, you know, it has a non-physical soul attached or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, you know, if dualism is true, this uh, material object here, you know, has a soul attached or whatever. Right. Um, so another like uh, theological question for you. Do you sometimes I'll, I'll bring this up to people uh, on college campus or something. Well, a lot of times they bring it up to me. I, I work for a ministry called Athletes in Action. And we'll be talking about God and stuff. And they go, well, what if we're living in a computer simulation? And we talk through that. Or, and I'll raise that to one of my uh, one of the people, the Christians that I work with. And they'll say, well, God wouldn't let that happen. And it's like, well, I don't know. Why not? You know, like maybe he would. Like, so do you have any, do you have any, any thoughts yourself just like theologically, personally? Do you think God would yeah. allow that to happen? Is there any reason why he would say, no, I'm not going to allow civilization to reach that point if it were uh, possible? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Descartes thought God wouldn't allow us to be massively deceived. You know? Right. Um, there's actually an interesting question about whether you actually are massively deceived when you're in the simulation hypothesis. Um, yeah. Bostrom Chalm- thinks you're not. Chalmers talks about that a lot. Yeah. 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 Chalmers thinks you're not too, because he thinks, uh, okay, you know, I think there's a phone right here. Oh, wait, that's true. It turns out that the metaphysical nature of this phone is different than I thought. It's a simulated phone rather than a base level reality phone. But like, I've, I've been talking about simulated phones the whole time, you know, it's yeah. just, just like if idealism, Berkeleyan idealism turned out to be true. We're not massively wrong. It's just that physical objects had a different nature than we thought. Maybe that would be true if it turned out that we were in the simulation hypothesis. We would have some abstract philosophical beliefs that were false, but like people are wrong about that. All, those kinds of things all the time. Right. Um, um, so that's that's a point I've, I've wanted to push for so long. And all my philosopher friends are like, no, dude, I think you're wrong. Um, uh, because I, I understand that. Like, I, I'm, I think Chalmers convinced me. Uh, he's got a great paper, The Matrix is Metaphysics. And mm-hmm. that's it's it's cool as long as we're, we're in the simulation talking about uh, simulated objects that we've uh, depends on your theory of reference and stuff. Right. But um, whether or, or, or like if you're a semantic externalist, like, sure, I'm in causal contact. But if I if I come to find out that I'm living in a simulation and not based reality, part of me thinks just like finding that out would wreck my cognitive structure because or or it just wouldn't fit. I wouldn't be justified in believing that because I'm depending on I know this is like weird, but if semantic externalism is true, then I don't have any contact with like base reality. But now I'm having I'm generating these beliefs about base reality such that like I'm not in it that base reality includes like simulated worlds such as mine, whatever level I'm at. And I have these beliefs about it, but I feel like it's not justified in me reasoning about things outside of my simulation. What do you make of that? I mean, Putnam thought that if you were a brain in a vat, like you couldn't even express the thought that you were a brain in a vat. I know it's kind of like Putnam. The brains you know about are the other embedded brains. Yeah, like, that? like I can't a, even formulate the thought. Or... It's a little bit. It, it it's not it's not that you can't formulate the thought. I don't really understand what he was getting at because he had a couple of different lines of thought there, and he wanted to say it's like necessarily false. I think it might be self defeating. I don't think it's self refuting. I think like if it were true, we wouldn't be justified in knowing it because our cognitive faculties are. It's like improper function or something, right? Instead of proper function, the the cognitive environment we were made for is the simulation. But then we're like reasoning about it's like the self-reference of it. Like we're reasoning. 
about space reality of which we don't have any contact with. So either like our concepts don't refer or we have no clue what base reality is like. We're assuming that it's like this one. You know, it's just like it's just like our reality, but it's not yeah. digital. We would have to we would have to um any any beliefs you had about what base reality is like would have to be justified, you know, inferentially or on the basis of some kind of abstract reasoning or something. Yeah. You know, maybe like beliefs about the source of the material world. Uh you know, you if you're not um hmm. You can't like directly observe God or something. You have to form these beliefs through, uh, oh yeah, maybe like, inferring, ah, oh, the world must have been designed because blah blah blah. Or yeah, um, so you know, I think, uh, yeah, you would have to. Um, I mean, you wouldn't be able to directly get at base level reality. You might be able to form certain justified inferences about it. I think you know it. It must be somewhat orderly, at least. Say if if it supports a simulation like ours, it can't yeah. just be really chaotic and random. Uh, that would be a, a justified belief about it. I don't think we could we could say, you know, we know that the laws of physics are just like the ones in ours or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in fact, if, if if we could, then maybe it might undermine the theodicy. Actually, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in, or at least the only way you could do that would be to try to argue maybe simulators would be more likely to simulate worlds like their own or something like that. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd need to hear more about what the worry is. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, okay. Let me, let me see if I can formulate it and not look like an idiot. Um, at least according to like Chalmers, he says, um, you take Neo in the matrix and let's just assume Neo is a sim and not a brain in a vat. Um, he, he thinks he's in Manhattan, uh, in his office building and uh, like qua the matrix. That's true. That's a true belief. But then qua base reality, it's not because he, his pod is in uh, New Jersey or something. Right. So it, you have to do this like move of like, you know, qua matrix or qua base reality. And so it, I think the the worry is like all of our reasoning, we've been designed to reason about simulation truths. Right. So, or simulation facts or beliefs, uh, uh, states of affairs or something. So um, those can be justified, as Chalmers says, because, uh, yeah, that's like the world that we're inhabiting. But then our cognitive faculties are aimed at like uh, T simulation, truth that's that's simulated. Um, but then we're coming to form this other belief that's like truth based reality. It's not about the simulation, so it seems like it seems like you're crossing really, over. Yeah. Okay. So it, it relies on maybe like proper functionalism and epistemology or something like that. Yeah, and I don't think it. I think it it re re relies on proper functionalism in so far as like you have been designed for a cognitive fact uh, for a cognitive environment. This simul simulation. So I don't think it like it. It has to be true at the base level, whatever. You know what I mean? But I think for the yeah. simulated being, it, it seems like that would be, you know, design plan, um, a cognitive, proper cognitive environment. And then um, they, the uh, faculties have to be aimed at simulated truth. Okay. Does yeah. that sound right? Yeah. I, I think maybe I had, I had better just um, beg off because I, I don't... <laughs> um, like I'm not a proper functionalist or, or anything very much like a proper functionalist in epistemology. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, 
I don't have strong views about what it entails because I haven't thought about it all that much. Yeah, no, no worries, no worries. It's it's a muddled uh, thought, anyways. I need to pick it back up. Um, well, let's let's go in on um, the the simulation solution um, to natural evils. Maybe we we better just say like what what are natural evils for those uh, who who don't have a clear conception of those. Yeah, so evils as people talking about the problem of evil mean it. Evil is just bad stuff. Um, so it's not only wickedness; it's also hurricanes, COVID, all sorts of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and there's this traditional distinction between moral evils and natural evils. Uh, moral evils are evils that are somehow the result of, like, so it's there's somebody's fault, right? Yeah. They're the result of some creature doing something bad. Murder is an immoral evil. Um, natural evils are the evils that are supposed to not be like that. Um, you know, comet hits the dinosaurs and kills them all. It's not like that's somebody's fault. That just happened. Yeah. Um, uh, there are um, a few uh, different kinds of theodicies that try to say, really, all of the natural evils are moral evils. All the things we think are not anybody's fault really are somebody's fault. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the simulation theodicy is going to fall in line uh, with those. And the appeal of those is that moral evils, if it's somebody's fault, you can explain it in terms of free will and responsibility and agency and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Whereas natural evils seem a lot harder because you're, well, why did God let that happen? You know? Right. Um, yeah. And you, something I noticed about reading your, your, uh, your papers, you're really good at naming things. Like <laughs> you call this a subsum subsumption uh, theodicy because the natural is subsumed underneath the, the, Moral evil. I love that. You, you're you're really good at that. So I wanted to throw that out there. Um, yeah, and it like a, a theodicy is supposed to get God off the hook for evil. And uh, some of the theologians are like, we're not getting God off the hook. Like, no, just calm down. That's kind of what we're supposed to be doing. It's it's okay. Um, we want to explain it, and maybe that's. Uh, I don't want to be flippant about evils. Evils suck. Um, but yeah, that's that's the goal. And so I think even on top of. Uh, the subsumption is just, it's just simpler and, and it's like a nicer, more elegant theory. Like if you can have one theodicy to rule them all, then why not have that? Yeah. No. Okay. Um, okay. So I don't know how important this is, but, but, uh, Dainton at least qualifies his solution, um, by arguing that it doesn't have to be, um, the sim situation. We don't have to be simulated conscious oh, yeah. beings, but it could also, we could also be a brain in a vat or um, I hadn't even thought about this, but like a Truman Show type scenario, <laughs> um, which is yeah. which is really fantastic. Can you can you like can you flesh that out a little bit for us? Why we're not wholly committed to like a functionalist theory of mind or something? Yeah, well, I don't think you're committed to a functionalist theory of mind, even if you think that um, AIs could be conscious, because okay. you could think maybe certain functions is uh, that's like the supervenience base or something for you know some non natural property or being nice. in a certain, you know, organized in a certain way. And maybe that is what causes an individual to become ensouled or it's sufficient for an individual being ensouled or something. Okay. Um, so I, I don't think, you know, functionalism would about say qualia about pain about, you know, your ex experiences would say somehow having this experience just is being in this functional state. Yeah. Whereas you could say, um, no, that's not true. But like anything that was in the right functional state would, as a contingent matter of fact, have the same experiences as you. 
Yeah, whether that's merged out like in Hasker's view or it's connected yeah. in the substance tools view or some other. Okay, yeah. that's great. Um, but um, yeah, Dayton is is worried. Some people will think, well, there's these controversial commitments in philosophy of mind that go into the simulation hypothesis. So he says, well, look, it could be that in some sense we're in a simulation, but we still have, maybe we are like in the matrix where the people have physical bodies and it's just stuff being fed into their brains or... Um, you know, maybe maybe you live in some other world and this is just like for fun. You're now, you know, you, there's some experience, you know, like a paid experience, like total recall or something. Yeah. Um, uh, hmm. Yeah. So he he thinks, um, you know, it helps a little bit if you posit these sorts of opportunities, because then you don't need substrate independence you know it yeah. could be that this is a simulation but i have like a normal organic brain um mm -hmm. i'm not sure it really helps all that much i mean the the things that are supposed to generate the whoa there could be like way more simulated beings um those are things that are assuming that the simulated beings are are ais not organic things um, yeah so i'm not really sure that it makes a huge difference um okay because it helps somewhat okay um okay well so uh, in your paper, you go over why uh, Dainton's uh, treatment of diabolical theodicies. He, one of them he doesn't treat. You, you go over diabolical yeah. theodicies and fall theodicies, and he kind of missed one of them. I can't remember if it was fall or... He, he misses... Uh, I think he misses fall theodicies. Okay. Yeah. So the, the thought... I mean, so the, the idea behind the simulation theodicy is, well, if we're in a simulation, then all these natural evils we see around us will be the result of the moral evil of our programmers, unless they had some morally sufficient reason for putting all this evil in, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, so then we have a, a nice subsumption theodicy. We can explain why all these natural evils occur in terms of stuff that they did. There's a question about what their world is like, right? If it's right. just like ours, then, well, they would have natural evils too. Maybe it's not just like ours, you know? Maybe they decided, hmm, wonder what the world would be like if we had these really shitty laws of nature. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so um, for all the evils, natural evils we observe, maybe all the natural evils that they are, if there's only moral evils in their reality, could be the result of them programming simulation in a certain way yeah um and uh the thought uh and then so then there are two other broad classes of theodicies that have the same feature that are other subsumption theodicies maybe like karmic theodicies or like this too i didn't really talk about those but um one i call diabolical theodicies and those say the natural evils are all because of demons mm -hmm. right uh, this is what Planaga says in his free will defense. He says, well, maybe the natural evils are all because of demons. Um, C.S. Lewis uh, says some stuff like this. Um, uh, the other one is the fault theodicy. Well, maybe the first humans somehow rebelled against God and that somehow caused um, all this natural evil we see. Uh, so Dayton talks about the diabolical theodicy because he's thinking about planning up saying this. Um, and as I recall, he says something, Hasker says the same thing somewhere, I think. Um, you know, he's thinking, well, the problem is that like, no, natural evils are not because of demons, right? Like we know why earthquakes happen. It's because of plate tectonics, not because like Satan's there jiggling around uh, things or something like that. Right. Um, and uh, I think that is, uh, that's unfair to the diabolical 
theodicy person. Because Plantinga doesn't think that the demons are there directly jiggling things around. Mm -hmm. um, what he suggests is somehow they've like screwed up the whole natural order. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it's, it's not that they're directly the ones causing you to have a heart attack. It's that they're the reason that the world works in such a way that people have heart attacks. It's like Tolkien did this with the creation yes. of, of Middle Earth and Lewis yes. did this with the creation of Narnia where they're like singing in uh, like off key tunes and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Dayton is thinking that the simulation view has an advantage because you don't need to say this goofy thing that the demons are directly. Um, I, I say, no, that's actually not an advantage because that's not what the person with this view thinks, or right. at least that's not the best version of this view. Um, so one of the reason I call it, reasons I call it the paper the real advantages is because I want to talk about what the real advantages are. Um, so I suggest um, probably the biggest worry is, I think I called it the precision problem yeah. for the diabolical view, um, which is just like, look, you know, given what we know about physics, about fine tuning, um, the world really doesn't look like uh, the product of you know, like warring factions playing around with the laws of nature resulting in uh, a world where bad stuff happens. Hume has this, this point where he's talking about what if there's like a good God and an evil God and they fought and that's why there's a mixture of good and evil in the world. And he says, no, that doesn't really make sense because there's too much uniformity in nature. Right. The world is too orderly. It seems like it's the product of like one consistent thing, not mm. two different guys messing everything up. And if you think about like fine tuning problems, you know, like maybe the, the angels are here. They want to lower the gravitational constant so that falls don't hurt you so much. And the demons are trying to raise it. And the problem is they're struggling over it. I guess neither side gets what they want because like things could be a lot worse. Things could be better. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Um. But somehow all the all the all the constants take on values such that given the other constants, you know, they had to be in a very narrow range. Yeah, right. Happen and yet they do. Um, so it looks like given what we know, not only about the uniformity of natural laws, but about laws needing to take very specific forms, about the, the values of constants in these laws, uh needing to um uh be just right, it, it really doesn't look like this could be the product of a struggle between two different factions, neither of which got what they were aiming for, right? Yeah. Uh, you you could imagine if there's like a, a radio with a bunch of different knobs and suppose that like, you know, there are like a, a trillion possible configurations and like a thousand of those are a radio station and you and I are fighting over the knobs and like, I want to listen to one radio station and you want to listen to some totally different radio station on some other frequency. And neither of us gets what we want. We're probably going to land on static. We're probably not going to land on some third radio station. That's like a mix of the two musical styles that we both wanted. You know? Right. Um, so it, it doesn't. And you can imagine you can tell just so stories about how that could happen. So I don't say that this is this positive. But just as kind of an abductive argument, trying to infer what seems most likely based on the world we see. 
Um, that's a, a reason to kind of worry about the diabolical view. Um, I, have, I have thought about whether there are ways to get around it. I might actually write something trying to defend it from my own criticism at some point. That'd be awesome, yeah. Yeah, but uh, that's at least what I say in the paper. Um, so I, I'd never, I'd never thought as hard about uh, the constants and, and, you know, demonic activity at the constant level at the beginning. I had never thought about that as hard as I did when I read your paper <laughs> criticizing it, but I was like, Whoa, wait, that, that that's something I read that Hume part. And it's like, okay, maybe not two warring equal good and evil gods, but if like, if Hume's right and there is all this order, then it seems like, Oh yeah, maybe like God's, battle with satan and god's like allowing satan that might be the kind of world that we see where it, it is very very good but there is a lot of evil so it's like yeah i can hear the radio station but there is some static um but yeah it'd be, it'd be interesting to hear you argue against you on that that'd be really yeah cool. yeah um yeah. and then maybe i should talk about what i say about the fall view too yeah well so another one you, uh, this was just oh. real quick but you said the diabolical problem and you're just like hey oh, you know yeah. a lot of people just don't believe in demons yeah. I mean, I, I don't really find it a big problem um, myself. So yeah. it's not the one that I think is the worst problem. But yeah, for a lot of people, this is if they think they don't have sufficient independent reason to believe in demons, they might think, well, you know, this is kind of an ad hoc yeah. additional postulate or something. Uh, yeah. You might think, well, being in a simulation, maybe that's an ad hoc additional <laughs> Right. Um, there there right. is this argument for it, right, that Bostrom gets. That's not yeah. totally ad hoc. Right. Um, well, so that that brought up a point I wanted to ask about um, the use of the word theodicy, because um, at least in theological circles, I think people make a big deal about, I believe it's planning a distinction between a theodicy and a defense. And so if it's like a theodicy, it's supposed to be like, this is the solution. And if it's a defense, it's like, here's a possible solution. And so I think I wanted to ask if you if you like that distinction or not, but also like if this is a defense, then you can throw in whatever ad hoc you want. Cause it's like, Hey, look, this is just a possible reason why your argument doesn't go through. What, yeah. what do you make of that? Yeah. So I guess really what I'm aiming for is something between those two things. Okay. Um, I'm not claiming something is definitely the right solution. I would like more than mere logical possibility, you know? Okay. And I think I understand. I mean, the, the distinction arose because of Mackey and the logical problem of evil. And right. All you need to refute that is some coherent story to tell. Um, very few people press that anymore. Now people right. press evidential problems of evil. And so I think Van Inwagen says, you know, worrying so much about this distinction, it's a little bit like if your defense lawyer showed up in court and he's like, okay, first of all, uh, I'm going to tell, uh, you know, a logically possible story <laughs> on which Parker did not commit the murder. Okay, Maybe he has a twin that we've yeah. never heard of, uh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And everyone, everyone says, yeah, okay, we agree it's logically possible that Parker yeah. didn't commit the murder. And then, and then your defense lawyer starts giving the actual, you know, yeah. go, like, why, I mean, why did we do that? You know? right. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I love so, that. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I want uh, plausibility, not necessarily this, I'm saying that this is the right one, not mere logical possibility, something that's plausible with like the more plausible it could be, the better, you know, it doesn't okay. have to be super likely, but at least likely enough that you think, okay, this argument doesn't totally sink my view or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. So, so we're thinking so far, simulation is a little bit more plausible than diabolical. For at least these or, two, or at, at least it avoids certain problems. Yeah, yeah, okay. Maybe it has its own problems too. Sure. Yeah. 
so so that's uh that's the diabolical uh, there's there's demons or the devil or a big mixture up and there's these problems of the precision problem like what does that mean and then uh the diabolical problem for some people who would say i don't believe in demons so then we got the the fall theodicy uh what yeah. do we got going on here yeah so the fall theodicy this is the more prop popular one i guess right this is what i was taught growing up the adam and eve send and then um all this bad stuff happened yeah. you might make it if you don't believe in a historical Adam and Eve, maybe the first group of humans send or whatever, you know, there's, it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly like the fall in the Bible or whatever. Yeah. Um, but somehow or other human beings screwed it all up. Right. Um, and uh, there are two, two problems that I discuss for that too. One is kind of obvious and it's just the historical problem that like given contemporary science, it seems like uh, natural evils were occurring hundreds of millions of years before there were any human beings. Yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, it, it's not really clear how we could be responsible for this. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, again, it's not, you know, you can imagine, and in fact, people have imagined views on which we could still be uh, responsible somehow. Right. Um, Hud Hudson has uh, like a whole book where he talks about this, uh, the fall and hyper time. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, maybe the Genesis story literally happened and then um, uh, after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, he like God sort of took the little bit of, as I recall, it's like God took the little 4D block that they were in and like dropped it into a new universe, like a new 4D block that had this whole natural history as explained by natural science. and. Yeah. God did this because of what they did. And so this is how the fall brought about all this um, suffering in history. But like, it's not the most natural view, yeah, right? I mean, it, 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 there's a lot of moving parts and you kind of wonder like, why did God do that? Like, that's yeah. not, not the, if you, if, you know, if you just knew like, okay, so the first human sin, what's God going to do next? You probably wouldn't guess that. Like, yeah. um, so yeah. Um, you know, or I mean, there are other views. Of course, there was this guy in the 1900s who wrote this book that said maybe God just made everything seem really old, right? Uh, yeah. uh, and like you wonder why did God do that? Um, so uh, the first problem is just historically, it doesn't seem. It looks like you've got like a timeline problem because it looks like there weren't any people to do any sinning until pretty late in history. Right. Um, and that's an advantage of the demon view is, well, maybe they were demons and they did the, they were responsible for the, the bad And they stuff. were corrupting the animals along yeah. the way as well too. And yeah. Or, you know, somehow they messed up the natural order. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the other view is, I forget what I called it, the connection problem maybe. Uh, I, the historical problem and the connection problem. Yeah. Yes. Good, good, good. Um, uh, it's just, it's kind of hard to see exactly what the connection is between, you know, even suppose that young earth creationism is true. It's hard to see exactly what the connection is between the human sinning and all of the natural evils that are supposed to result. Um, so Adam and Eve disobey God and somehow that means animals start eating each other and, uh, you know, cats get feline leukemia and earthquakes yeah. start happening. And none of those are like obvious, obvious. Con I mean, there's no very obvious natural uh, way in which those things would result, right? So this is a problem Michael Murray talks about, actually. Um, you could imagine 
you know, maybe God does it to punish them. God intentionally messes things up, or maybe somehow, you know, God set things up in such a way that the natural order depended upon them doing the right thing. And then you wonder that's the one I hear a lot. Yeah. We're, yeah. But it, but like you said, the, the connection is, is usually not there. It's, it's usually like, a. I love my, I love people. I love the folks who use this, but it's, it's usually like, well, Adam was the, he's like the, the head of create of creation. And so if he falls and everything else goes, and then it's like, again, you're great at names. Like what's the connection though? Like why yeah, I mean, wouldn't that be even worse? Like if God could have stopped the rest of creation, couldn't he just like stop that domino from falling or something? Like the, the problem of evil is still there. It's not like it's a super obvious, Oh, well, Adam sins. So not, now yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's you know, it's, I guess like the the queen is the head of England. Like if she does something really bad, it's not like life expectancy is going to go down in England. Yeah, or you know, like just well, because of that, right? I mean, if yeah. she releases pollution or something, it might. But yeah. you know, it's it, like there's no obvious immediate connection between Adam as the head of creation and predation. Yeah. Uh, you can add further stuff in right. to explain what the, and you know, then you can talk about how plausible it is. What I'm saying is just, there's this issue here. There is a problem that you need to solve of explaining exactly what this connection is. Yeah. Um, and it's, but you know, that doesn't arise in the case of the, the simulation view. Yeah. There's, there's this line of thought I've been tracing, which freaks me out, but it's, uh, I just wanted to run it by you real quick. I, I was talking with uh, Graham Oppie and Michael Humer and, Humor is going in for like a eternal uh, universe view. And he's like, hey, look, you know, uh, <clears throat> the a better theory than the Big Bang Theory is that, you know, the world popped into existence in 1950. And it's better because there's uh, more entropy and that's more plausible. And so it's more likely that the 1950 story happened than that one. So because of that, you know, and he goes through this line of reasoning. He's like, I just don't want to put any kind of arbitrary stop. And I, I thought about that with like, like, uh, Older or young earth creationism, I'm wondering like, is it more plausible on the entropy spectrum? Because it's like, well, it was, <laughs> it, was it was God popped into existence with an appearance of age, ten thousand or six thousand years, whatever. Instead of actually all the billions and billions, is that like technically more plausible? I, you have to add in extra things, right? Because it's a whole theory. And yeah, well, so if you're a theist, then um, you're gonna think the the fundamental. I mean, I so yeah, so I think I saw the 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 video where humor said that and his worry was the big bang is this like totally arbitrary seeming thing, you know, like it, the first thing that ever happened that, you know, there are like all these weird parameters, super yeah. low entropy state, blah, 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 blah. Um, but this is Richard Swinburne's cosmological argument, right? Is look, the big bang is like way too arbitrary and complicated right. to be the first thing that ever happened. It must've been done by God. Who's much simpler and more natural. Um, I think once you have God in the picture, well, then the Big Bang is not the explanatorily fundamental thing. Yeah. And so the question is just, which is God going to be more likely to bring about? Yeah. Um, the, yeah, I guess there would be reasons to um, to skip all the suffering of evolutionary history and whatever. But then you'd wonder, well, why did he make it look like all that stuff? Yeah, happened? is he deceiving us? or? Yeah. But then I guess on just raw Big Bang or Young Earth creationism, one of those is more plausible than, but then you got God in there. Oh. Well, then, you know, back to our decision. So yeah, yeah. 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 So right. yeah. If, if, if it's just a totally secular picture and you're just wondering what's more likely than yeah. the world. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess I need to think more about that. I mean, well, I, I, I thought because usually like the young earth dudes, um, many of whom are my, my friends are, are like, usually they're like the Bible thumper dudes. And I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm something of a Bible thumper myself. 
but uh, you wouldn't think that they would pull out this Bayesian Bayesian argument against <laughs> them and be like, no, look, it's actually because of the entropy. So I want to, I would love to see them use that argument. So if you're listening, do it, guys. Let's see it. Um, okay, so we we got this this connection problem, and we have the historical problem, and so that makes it seem like there's some problems with the fall theodicy that the simulation um, hypothesis could solve. Or, or not, not, not solve. Maybe even, maybe just avoid. They don't just have avoid. Those. Yeah. Um. Okay. So what's? I think some people have this problem with Bostrom's story, where they're like, it seems, it seems like he's just baking in too much, like this, this ancestor simulations, and now they're wanting to see what it's like to be us and stuff. Um. Sometimes those are pretty, pretty plausible when you look at like the 2016 election or something. And you're like, well, what would happen? <laughs> What would happen if Donald Trump became president? Let's just make that happen. You know, and certain things at the popular level, these you know, popular intellectuals will say, this is evidence that we are. And then Bostrom's like, you actually can't have any evidence for this because the simulators could always wipe it back and stuff. So like the, the academics are like, you can't do that. But at the popular level, Elon Musk and stuff, like, look, it's proof. Um, but what, what kind of story, um, what kind of story do we have here? Like, because it's a theodicy, it seems like we still want to get God off the hook for evil. So God's got to be in the picture of the simulated yeah. Uh, world. Yeah. Um, so what? Yeah. What? How do we fill it out? Yeah. I guess in order for I, it to be better. I, guess, I mean, you know, who knows? How, who knows exactly what what happened? Assuming that I, I don't believe <laughs> I know, yeah. that we are in a simulation. Right. A, right. Um, well, you know, maybe God made some world. Um, maybe there's no natural evil in that world. Maybe they have earthquakes, and it is because of some people sinning and they don't have all this historical evidence against that. You know, maybe oh, they dude, didn't I didn't think about that. And, you know, it's just 6,000 years ago, animals started eating each other. Like what the hell? Right. Um, you know, they, they could be why, you know, all sorts of stuff could be different in their world. Yeah. Base um, reality would be yeah. different. It yeah. Be. Um, or, you know, maybe their world didn't need to be finely tuned. It had wildly different laws of nature and demons could screw everything up really easily. And, you know, what, whatever. Right. right. Um, so somehow or other, either they don't have the sorts of natural evils that we have or, you know, maybe they theirs are explained in some way that is not, uh, you know, that avoids the problems that we the kind of empirical problems that we have. Uh, trying to explain them uh, according to these other subsumption theodicies. And then at some point they decide for whatever reason uh, that they're going to start making uh, simulations. Um, you know, they wonder maybe uh, are these going to be conscious or not? Um, you know, there are probably some annoying pro AI protesters who go out and everybody makes fun of them. <laughs> Uh, you know, and yeah. maybe there's some big corporation. They realize you can make a lot of money doing these uh, ancestor simulations or something. So they start running them anyway. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, through their moral negligence or whatever, um, they create uh, worlds that have uh, quite a lot of evil in them. Um, and it turns out that the simulation, the simulated beings are uh, suffering. And uh, that's the that's why evil results. Yeah, by the the apparently natural evils that we see result it's because they set up a simulation where natural forces result in these uh, these bad things happening to people. Yeah, I I hadn't thought about yeah base reality could be all sorts of crazy and they could see yeah, like really yeah um, there's a episode of Black Mirror called Hang the DJ where there's simulation there's mm -hmm. a bunch of simulations and it's it's a dating app and it's like. Mm -hmm. the, once you go with those kind of stories, it becomes like eminently plausible 
Like if if these <laughs> if these world simulations it doesn't even need to be a full world because you know I don't see the full world at at, at all time. Maybe it just renders when I go on the plane. No. Um, they wouldn't even need the, all the computing power to make a full universe. But uh, yeah, only where we look, which is another weird like form of idealism. But yeah, uh, it could be <laughs> we could all just be in someone else's dating app. There's two people yeah. that they're seeing if they're compatible, and you and I are just on a podcast randomly right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah. Maybe they're simulating all sorts of other stuff that's going yeah. on, just in case the simulation goes off in that direction. Right, right. So, and that's why Australia doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> for, for those of you guys wondering. Um, okay, so then the 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 problem of evil is subsumed of natural evils why is there why was there a hurricane well it's because uh immoral simulators put that in or or like incompetent if they're incompetent does it still get subsumed or would that still count as moral yeah i think so i mean if they're negligent somehow i mean they you you would think they can't quite be malicious because if they wanted things to just like if they were like absolutely malicious then you know they can make things a lot worse right well, it depends um, on your, your perspective. I mean, you know, the 2016 election was pretty bad for you. <laughs> no, I, I, I thought that was pretty bad. But, you know, it, it could be. I mean, there could just be like bees stinging you all That's the time. That's true. That's and, true. You, know, you could just, the whole simulation could be nothing but fire and you never die. And, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that could be happening, right? Yeah. Uh, so if they just wanted to torture you, they could make it a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you can imagine, I mean, I don't know, people do all sorts of stuff that's not malicious, but is causes great suffering and they just don't care enough to stop it. Or, right. you know, maybe they think about us the way that lots of people think about animals on factory farms or whatever. They just try yeah. to think about it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it's not like factory farmers are malicious. They, they just don't really care very much. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they could have some other, some other motive or, you know, maybe they were a little reckless. They, they, some, there, some guy did a, a, a bias study uh, to show that we couldn't be conscious and they were like, oh, <laughs> they're uh, fine. Their, their simulation industry has been funding uh, bogus uh, philosophy research. It's the big Sims, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows? But uh, yeah, you know, it, it could be that, it seems like they couldn't be malicious, but there are lots of ways that they could be not super malicious, but still be indifferent in ways that are morally problematic. Gotcha. And you might even kind of think, you know, like the world, on the one hand, it seems designed. On the other hand, it seems like there's this bad stuff. So, you know, what's up with this weird mixture of design and indifferent? Well, I guess if, I mean, that would explain it, right? If some people simulators were simulating the world, but they weren't, uh, they didn't care about trying to make it nice for us. They cared about something else. Yeah. Maybe making, making interesting things happen uh, for the people watching their TV programs or something. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm wondering about like the theological implications. Um, it's, a, it's a theodicy. So if, if this goes through, then we have subsumed natural evils under moral evils. And um, then it's just left to, to flesh out the free will theodicy or defense, wherever you want to say it and say, look, God gave uh, the base reality whatever they are, I'm assuming they're probably image bearers, but gave the simulators the free choice to do this. And they chose poorly. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder about like, <clears throat> what's, what's our, what's our, what would our status be then? We, we take ourselves to be image bearers of God. If we're mm-hmm. uh, Sims, are we still valuable and stuff? Like, do we still, does that mess with our anthropology at all? I don't think so. I mean, it will depend of course on what your actual what your view of what it 
being an image bearer entails, but I mean, we'd yeah. still be, we're still conscious beings. We're, we're still rational. We're still self-aware. Um, you know, whatever you think it comes down to, I think we still have it. Um, even if we're simulated beings, you know? Okay. Um, so, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think, it, I mean, suppose, forget about simulation, suppose you made an AI, and, you know, suppose data from Star Trek. This is uh, my next so, question, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he would be, you know, there's a whole a whole episode about this problem, right? Uh, I think they get, they get, they get it right. Um, I think he would be valuable in the way that we're valuable. Um, okay. So, I mean, this has some actual real implications for whether or not we should make uh, like a metaverse of just Sims or even play Sims, you know, not now probably, <laughs> but like in the Sims 20, uh, 2085 yeah. or whatever down the line. Well, I mean, that kind of, I mean, if, if, if they, if they, if the Sims were really advanced enough, I think that would, you would start to worry, right? About whether yeah. this was okay or not. Um, so. And that, and that might, that might cut off the simulation, but because then we might take uh, uh, Bostrom's first premise that or second premise that yeah maybe we're uh scientifically advanced enough but we wouldn't for moral reasons but then yeah. i guess you'd have to have a kind of optimistic view of human nature yeah and think yeah. that the corporations yeah. won't do it anyways right because yeah, they're no, probably right. going to yeah. it's an arms race to get there <laughs> yeah that's it yeah. Dang it. Yeah. Dang it. it yeah it might be something where you need like one person to develop ai and then use it to to prevent anybody else from doing it because yeah. you know, somebody's yeah. going to do something awful with it that's right. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay. So, so, oh man, that's really, really fascinating about we could make all sorts of image bearers nested in simulations, but <clears throat> I'm also wondering, you know, maybe the, the, uh, the atheists in the audience is thinking, well, why, why go back to God after we have the simulator? So we have, we have a, a theodicy, but your theodicy might prove too much. Why do we need God uh, back of the simulator? Hmm. Yeah. So there are different, I mean, there are different arguments you might run, right? Yeah. So one, one concern is, would this, if it succeeds in making the problem of evil, at least a little less bad, would it undermine arguments for theism? Right. You know, like design arguments, for instance, right? Oh, wait, we know why the world seems designed because some nerd did it. Right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, I mean, some arguments will be unaffected by this. I think ontological arguments, not affected. Cosmological yeah. arguments not affected, except maybe, you know, ones that are very impure, you know, like the, the version of the Kalam that appeals to the Big Bang theory. Or whatever. Right, right. All of the traditional cosmological arguments won't yeah. be affected. I thought um, this about some neological arguments and like uh, abstracta, you know, the, yeah. those, those kind of arguments, like if they're in God's mind, like we can run through all the simulations right back to God because logical laws, I think, are applicable yeah. every, in every possible world, including simulation ones, but. Yeah. Um, uh, the fine tuning argument, other arguments that rely heavily on like specific scientific findings, maybe not because yeah. maybe, well, we don't know whether that's the case in base level reality or not. And if it's not the case in base level reality, then all of the things like that can just be explained in terms of the activities of the simulators. There may be other argument, other design arguments, you know, from the existence of natural laws or the existence of some sort of you know, uniformity in nature, stability, whatever, those sorts of things might still work because it seems like if base level reality can support simulators and simulations and all this kind of stuff, 
Uh, it has to be, it can't just be like a totally chaotic mess, right? It has to be sort of stable and orderly and predictable yeah. enough. There should be some kind of induction right? going on. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, some arguments will still work. I think that the argument from psychophysical harmony that Brian Cutter and I have will be unaffected by this. Nice. I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, well, so um, what if we just what if we just stopped and we're like, well, base reality is just the simulator and the simulator is what we take to be God. There's some people who do this. Uh, Rizvan Verk has this, this book simulation hypothesis. And he, he does this um, where he's like, yeah, the, the simulator might just be God. And this is actually a way to be, uh, to bring all the, um, all the world's religions together. You know, they're all kind of grasping at the same kind of thing. And Plato talked about waking up out of the cave and, here we are, you know, and so um, the simulator is God. And if that's the case, the theodicy would fail because um, our simulator is is morally evil, right? Or, or at least he has sinned or he has incorporated evil. So does that, it, that tarnishes him, right? Right. If he made the world evil, doesn't it? The simulator? Uh, assuming that there's not some other good reason for doing it. Oh, yeah, totally. Which, of course, if there's some other good reason for doing it, maybe you don't need the simulation. Yeah. If we can see, oh, no, there's some other reason why it's good to have the world be like this. Yeah. Um, but wait, so is the suggestion that there's there's someone, you know, uh, there's like some physically existing uh, agent who simulates us and that's what we've been talking about when we've been talking about God this whole time? Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and then, and if that's the case, then like there's no one behind him, so then he would he would be evil at least yeah. a little bit because that's that's the whole subsumption of natural yeah. to yeah moral. yeah assuming there isn't some other good reason that he knows about um, right yeah uh, I don't think that that's what I mean he would have like maybe one of the one of the commonly attributed attributes he would be the one who made this universe around us. Um, he would be unlike God in other important ways. He wouldn't be the source of everything. He wouldn't be all powerful. He wouldn't be all good. Uh, he wouldn't be all knowing. Um, he would be very powerful with respect to our simulation, of course. Right. Um, presumably he hasn't, you know, revealed anything to us or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I wouldn't say that he was God. I would say that we had just learned that there was some computer programmer who designed the world around us. Um, And I think the reasons for going beyond that would be maybe some of the arguments that I mentioned a minute ago. Yeah, that's good. That that guy needs some, some, something behind him after all to explain why he's there and why uh, the world is such as to allow him to create a, a simulation like ours. See, I love that. Yeah, that's so good. Um, yeah, is there is there anything else to to, to stick on the the simulation um, uh, solution and stuff, or, or can we can we get on to the new logic? Because I think we're at a great spot to be like, yeah. what are some of those arguments to think that the simulator needs a god? Right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we can. I think we can move on to that problem. Okay, awesome. Um, well, yeah. So I wanted to bring up your uh, your paper, um, psychological harmony: a new argument for theism with with Brian Cutter. And, um, and I was, so, I was so glad, I'm so hoping that, that, that this new logical argument can get us past it. So you think it does, you think that this argument gets us past the simulator to God. 
Um, can yeah. you lay out the argument, psychological harmony argument for God's existence for us before we do that? Yeah. So um, basically, um, uh, so forget about the simulation hypothesis for a minute. Suppose that the world is as we normally suppose. We're in base level reality, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, uh, notice that our conscious states, our subjective experiences, are correlated with physical states in kind of, um, you know, apt, rationally appropriate, whatever ways. Um, we pursue uh, valuable experiences and avoid disvaluable experiences. We pursue pleasure, we avoid pain. Um, we, uh, by, by the way, I should say this paper is available online if people want to look it up. So it's, it's a very long paper. And what I'm going to give is a simplified version of the argument. So if you have some objection, hopefully that's in the, <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, I have, um, an experience as of, uh, a kind of rectangular black object in front of me. Um, and that justifies my belief that there is such an object there. And sure enough, there is such an object there. Um, hmm. I say things like there is a rectangular black object in front of me. And sure enough, there is a rectangular black object in front of me, right? So my behavior and my, uh, my uh, speech match matches up with, uh, or sorry, I say that and I have an experience as of, uh, uh, so those things match up with my conscious state. Um, some people believe in what's called cognitive phenomenology. So they think there's something it's like to desire something or to believe something. And you note that you can give kind of belief desire explanations of my behavior that make sense in terms of my phenomenology, if that yeah. is right. So I believe that there is beer in the fridge and I desire fridge and I have the appropriate phenomenology. And sure enough, I go to the fridge and get a beer. Um, uh, but notice it's conceivable that absolutely none of that be the case. Um, you could imagine scenarios where, say, pleasure and pain are inverted mm -hmm. or where uh, I have, um, you know, just all, I only have one experience and it's just like fuzzy static visual experience. That's the only thing that ever happens to me, no matter what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or, you know, I mean, all, all sorts of stuff you can imagine. Right. Um, on, so we start out with dualism and, and epiphenomenalism. We start yeah. out assuming dualism and epiphenomenalism. Um, so dualism, you know, the mental is not reducible to the physical. Epiphenomenalism, the mental makes no difference to the physical world. Just nomological uh, danglers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, if that's right, then if our experiences were all switched around, it would make no difference to our behavior. We would have evolved in exactly the same way. I would behave in exactly the same way right now. Um, and so uh, in the world where the psychophysical laws correlated pain and pleasure in an inverse way, or it caused me to say, you know, I, I say I, there's something black and rectangular, but actually I'm just having warm bath water phenomenology. I've heard you say that before. I love that one. Yeah, no, <laughs> so, uh... no, no physical, uh, no, no visual experience at all. Just yeah. warm bath water feeling yeah. um, or, you know, whatever. Um, I would behave exactly the same way because the conscious experiences are not making any difference. Right. Right. Um, and so in this view, it seems absolutely miraculous that the psychophysical laws correlate um, mental and physical states in ways that are actually apt, actually rationally appropriate. 
uh, instead of just in some crazy way. You think about all the crazy ways they could be. A lot of those are a lot simpler. You right. Know, the law that's just only bathwater feeling. That's a lot right. simpler than the law that has this incredibly rich set of experiences. Um, and yet, actually, we got this really complex set of laws that are, you know, just the right ones, just the ones we need. Um, uh, or at least more complex than the one that assigns warm bathwater to everything. Yeah. Who knows how complex they are, really? Yeah. Um, uh, and so we we say on dualism and epiphenomenalism, uh, it's very mysterious uh, how we wound up with uh, apt with harmonious uh, with harmony between our conscious experiences and our physical states and behavior. And we suggest uh, really the only explanation that is at all plausible is divine design. Mm-hmm. Um, and we even we quote a bunch of philosophers talking about this problem. We didn't invent this psychophysical harmony problem. We quote a number of atheist philosophers of mind who talk about this problem, and they all say, "Of course, if you believed in God, that would solve the problem anyway." But like, who does that? Yeah. And then they, you know, so like we, we we didn't even invent the idea that this could be an argument for theism. It's just that we're the only ones who didn't like laugh it off afterwards, right? Um, and so we argue that this is true if dualism and epiphenomenalism are true. And then we argue actually that you can extend the problem to any view and philosophy of mind you please, basically. Yeah. If you're a physicalist, yeah. if you're a dualist interactionist, if you're a Vassalian monist, if you're an idealist, we argue the problem reoccurs and you still need uh, to appeal to design. So it's a kind of design argument from, uh, you know, something like fine tuning, but the fine tuning of uh matching up our uh our conscious and, and physical states in ways that make sense yeah. and how is it that the the problem applies to all these other views i guess maybe people can read the paper but we, we right yeah and i love it it's, it's an amazing paper and uh i should just say because people never get enough credit but a lot of people are talking about this paper and they all point to it as like this is a very good paper this is a very good argument so i just want to pass that along to you like a lot of my philosopher friends point to to you guys on that so I, I love it. I, I love commending it to, to others. I, I think some some people <clears throat> uh, initially will be like, well, you know, Darwinism, um, you know, it makes more sense that you would you would have uh, psychophysical harmony. But a lot of the same people will point to like the Libet's Libet, Libet, Libet test in free will type stuff, cognitive science, where mm-hmm. you have to, you know, press this button when you see the light. And it's like, oh, actually, there's an action potential that's going on before that. And so really, you know, epiphenomenalism. And it's like, well, okay, that's all you need then to start this argument to be like, well, why, how come you thought that you did that instead of thinking, you know, warm bathwater or whatever the case is? Yeah. And 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 how would we, you know, how many of those possibilities, the, the connection between uh, psychophysical and between the soul and or the suke, the uh, mind and the physical, how many of those would match up? You know, we don't know. How do we even go about adjudicating this? But it seems incredible that they would match up the way that they do now yeah yeah i mean a lot of people think somehow evolution is going to solve this and it doesn't i'm sure that it doesn't we talk about why it doesn't yeah yeah Um, uh i think people are imagining pain pay pain is causally efficacious yeah and it has a certain causal effect it causes you to avoid things right and so evolution will select you know the painful states being correlated with uh, the things that are fitness reducing. And that's all true. I agree with all that. But like the question is, why is that the case? Right. 
Um, how is it that even if we assume that pain, we assume epiphenomenalism is false and we assume that uh, interactionism is true, mm-hmm. which the Libet person is maybe not doing, right? Yeah. If they're assuming epiphenomenalism, then it doesn't matter at all what, what, whether there's any pain there or not because it doesn't do anything. It doesn't affect right. your behavior. If we assume interactionism is true, we can still ask, it seems perfectly coherent to imagine different conscious experiences like having their causal powers inverted. Mm. So that they result in different sorts of, so you, and you switch around the pain and the pleasure, but you also switch around their causal effects. And then because evolution is just trying to match up, uh, what it needs is for the conscious experience that causes avoidance behavior to be matched up with the damaging stimulus. It doesn't care whether it's a valuable or a disvaluable experience. So then it's going to select for, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the valuable experience is being correlated with damaging stimuli. Yeah. Um, so so the, the, yeah, it's not anything that evolution is going to have anything to say about because it's talking about um, how it is that the psychophysical law, basically how it is that the psychophysical laws are such that evolution could produce harmonious beings to begin with. Right. In a way. I love it. It's like, um, it's like an, advancement on like uh color inversion or you know uh qualia uh inversion but it, it it'd be the same thing like well evolution tells us that qualia ver- inversion is less likely because it'd be better if all of us had the same color experiences so we could communicate with each other and grow and it's like no 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 it doesn't matter if it's systematically different and you're seeing uh you know violet but i'm seeing my highlighter yellow it does not matter at all like we're still going to be able to communicate perfectly fine um, I love that, man. This is so cool. So, um, yeah, why, how does this help us? Well, actually, there's two that I want to cover because you cover a lot in the paper, right? And, and people should go read the paper. One one is idealism, though. Um, some of my idealist friends, I got a lot of weird friends, and maybe I'm, you know, I'm, maybe I'm the weirdest, but um, the idealists always go like, this is why we should be idealists because you don't need – you don't need psychophysical. There is no physical. It's just psycho. You know, and it's like we are psycho. Yeah. Um, but how do we how do we get around this? Yeah. So um, I I mean for an idealist, either there are I mean it depends on the kind of idealist. Some right. will say there is no physical, and so then there is no set of correlations between the mental and the physical. Obviously, yeah. right? Yeah. Some will say the physical exists, but somehow it is produced mental. Yeah. Um, but uh, to make it easier, suppose the person says there is no physical, only the mm-hmm. mental. Um, you still have this long-standing problem for idealists about, uh, well, how is it that our mental states match up with the other mental states that I have in an orderly way? You know, my yeah. sense experiences are as if there's some stable physical environment outside of me. And right. how is it that my sense experiences match up with your sense experiences as if there's some stable physical environment that we're both investigating, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, of course, Bishop Barclay thought, oh, well, God has ensured that this is the case, right? God has yeah. kind of set everything up as if there was this stable physical environment outside of us that we're really sensing, even if it's not the case. Um, so, um, yeah, the problem is a little different for the idealist if they say that there's not really any physical or something like that. Um, but... Uh, they have this very closely related problem that we've known about a long time that means that idealism probably requires theism anyway. Okay, nice. And so, okay, fine. So if you do go that route, we still got theism. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so let's apply it to the simulation hypothesis. Like, how does this get us all the way through? Couldn't couldn't the simulator just he or she or whatever it is, right? Because it's in base reality. Um, why why do why isn't it responsible for psychophysical harmony? Yeah. So, um, I mean, the the simulator presumably is not going to have the ability to change natural laws, right? Mm. Or metaphysical principles or whatever. Yeah. Um, he can, you know, in just like I can't change natural laws, he can, uh, or she, or they, yeah. uh, can bring together materials to create a computer or whatever, and then kind of set up what the natural laws are going to be in there. Um, but the computer, of course, has to obey the natural laws of the simulated person's world. Yeah. Um, and so if, uh, say in base level reality, uh, the psychophysical laws say, no matter what state you're in, bathwater phenomenology. Uh, well, okay, the simulator only has bathwater phenomenology now, but he's still going to keep doing it, behaving exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, and we're only going to have bathwater phenomenology because even if he, so okay, suppose they they're they're substrate independent, so that yeah. AI can have experiences. Well, they say whatever your state is, you have bathwater phenomenology. That's all we can have. And there's nothing he can do about that because he can't change the psychophysical laws, right? Um, he has to work within those. Or, you know, if they mandate some kind of pain, pleasure, inversion scenario or, you know, whatever, um, nothing he can do about that. Yeah. So um, the fact that they, that they uh, correlate things in apt, rationally appropriate, understandable, blah, 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 ways um that's not something that the simulator is responsible for that just has to be something about what the psychophysical laws are like in that world and uh those allow it to be the case that ais are uh psychophysically harmonious man that's nice so that's, yeah that's why it's not it's not going to help with the, this design problem can, so yeah so can we know um can we know i think we've already you've already talked about this but i i feel like we can infer we can infer certain things about base reality if we're in a simulation because just like that's necessarily what must be the case someone might say well maybe the simulator is crazy and he's all over the place and he doesn't have this this harmony it's like well then he wouldn't be able to create the simulation where we have this experience does that sound right yeah i mean he i mean he could be crazy in the sense of mentally you know like one of us is but yeah, yeah. if if the if the psychophysical laws in his world, say, you know, the avoidance behavior uh, causing state is correlated with just feeling absolutely ecstatic. Uh, he can't change that, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. that's what that's presumably that's going to be. Or I mean, I don't know. You could imagine maybe they maybe they say uh, if you're biological, it's correlated with feeling ecstatic and if you're an ai it's correlated with a uh, but if that's true then he couldn't change that either right? right 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 um so and why would they i mean why would they work like that you know yeah uh, that, that would be uh, a silly a silly view so um yeah i mean uh there's nothing i mean from the fact that we are, are psychophysically harmonious um we can suppose that the psychophysical laws, which will not be under the control of a simulator, um, 
must allow for psychophysical harmony, at least for beings like us. Um, and it seems the most reasonable and natural supposition, just like if we met aliens, you would suppose they're probably psychophysically harmonious too. The most reasonable and natural supposition would be uh, any simulators will probably be psychophysically harmonious for the same reasons we are. Okay. And then the argument runs right through because we need yeah. a design. Um, what, if, what if we met like an angel though, who, um, and I, I think you and Emerson Green talked about this and I believe, again, since you're good at naming stuff, I think you called it like a revenge, like a revenge argument for God, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. he's not psychophysical harmony, but psycho, psycho, uh, psychological harmony between, you know, uh, individual psychological yeah. states. Uh, and uh, maybe angels first and then God, uh, like do angels have this problem? Uh, you know, like an angel isn't uh, physical. Yeah. So they wouldn't have the, if they can affect the physical world, there might be this problem about like they intend to do some, they intend to bring about some physical effect and then the physical effect happens. So yeah, there's yeah, like yeah. a correlation there. Okay. Um, and then there's maybe a correlate, you know, their own mental states are, are, are fit together presumably in ways that make sense. Uh, yeah. They don't just have crazy random phenomenology. Right. Um, uh, when it comes to God, yeah. So does God exhibit some sort of psychophysical harmony too? Um, I think this one I didn't name. Someone else called okay. it the revenge problem. And I picked okay. it up, but I can't remember who it was now. Um, but uh, I mean, basically, so this is the way to think about the argument. Um, the The claim here is, us being psychophysically harmonious is like super intrinsically improbable without some deeper explanation because yeah. there are a zillion ways that it could be a lot of the ways that you know are, are much simpler uh would be i mean it looks like all the simplest ways that it could be are disharmonious um so it's super intrinsically improbable that we are psychophysically harmonious without some deeper explanation um when it comes to god uh, it looks to me like God's psychophysical harmony is going to be entailed by other properties he has. Yeah. Omnipotence or perfection or whatever, or at least it would entail that he would have the ability to bring it about that he's harmonious and probably would want to or something. Um, and so the question then is just like, is it, so is it as or more intrinsically improbable to posit that there's some being that has the attributes that we've traditionally ascribed to God. Yeah. Um, and we talk about that a bit in the paper and we argue that it's not because um, actually, you know, these are sort of simple, you know, a, a very small number of simple natural properties that will uh, entail God's other, other properties. So um, can, can you get it down to one like Swinburne or something or, or do you guys? Yeah. I, I mean, I, that's that's the best that's that's certainly what you hope right is that yeah you if you it. can <laughs> like let's do this yeah um, yeah i mean people disagree about that but right. either one or you know two or three or something okay uh and which are all held to a, a, a very natural degree in a very simple way yeah um yeah so what we're talking about really is the sort of swinburne type approach or josh Rath. i mean different people have different approaches exactly how they think right um so the, the thought is ultimately God's existence is not wildly intrinsically improbable. And that kind of is going to trivially entail that God is um, uh, psychophysically harmonious. Um, God's other properties are going to trivially entail that God is psychophysically harmonious. 
And so we've managed ultimately to explain the very intrinsically improbable in terms of the not very intrinsically improbable. No. And that's ultimately what you want to do. You want to look at things that say it's really improbable that things would just be like this and then find some way that things are that is not as improbable that explains why this other thing is, you know, that yeah. raises the probability of it. Yeah. Um, so that's that's ultimately what we want to say about that. It depends, of course, on you know, whether our discussion of the intrinsic probability of theism is satisfactory and that kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah, man, that's really good. Um, just a weird question about like divine action. Uh, it seems like when, when God is by himself, this is all good. When God creates the world and then wants to interact in the world, do you think like is there a psychophysical law that applies to God that like emanated from him or or he had to invent in order for him to interact with the world? Do you, do you like you yeah. know say like uh, the writing on the wall, right? Like he he writes yeah. tickle tickle I I shouldn't remember the words. Uh your arson tickle tickle something. Well he writes something on the wall, right? Yeah. Um it seems like there has to be like some kind of psychophysical god law. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't, I mean, it seems kind of weird to think of it in terms of a, a psychophysical law. I guess I would be inclined to think it just sort of trivially follows from omnipotence that whatever God intends to do happens. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's not, it's not like God, just like God doesn't need to set up some further set of natural laws in order to bring about some physical effect. Yeah. Um, God also doesn't need to set up some further set of psychophysical laws. Um, okay. It's sort of a basic causal power that God has or something that, that's trivially entailed by God's nature. Like okay. That. So it would still be, it'd still be like intrinsic to him and it wouldn't be like he's yeah. obeying the psychophysical laws that he set up for the universe of yeah. mind body interaction. Yeah. Okay. This is awesome, man. This is, this stuff's so cool. I think even thinking about the psychophysical harmony argument is helping me, think through like like c.s lewis's argument from reason and what i want to say about that because even like the psychological um harmony just the psychological harmony that we talked about with angels you mm -hmm. know uh beliefs following beliefs and stuff that's that's what lewis was trying to get at and he's like look if there's a break in that chain or if the interaction is only one way from physical up then you don't have reasons to believe what you believe and so you know say what you will about the argument i, I think it's just giving me more tools to, to think through other arguments. So I really appreciate your work, man. This is awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we didn't get too many questions from uh, the audience here, but let me see if I can find just a couple. Um, let me just show this guy here. <clears throat> uh, why does epiphenomenalism require that our perceptions are even close to mirroring reality? I think it, it, it doesn't, right? Yeah, it doesn't. That's the problem, right, yeah. uh, is that it doesn't. Um, so assuming that they do... <laughs> Uh, you have this problem. Yeah. Um, I guess you might, maybe you wonder, well, why think that, why not just be some kind of weird skeptic and think that our perceptions don't mirror reality? Um, you'd still have the problem, I guess, of like internal coherence of our perceptions and that sort of thing. You know, um, the fact that our perceptions are not just some sort of crazy morass that doesn't make any sense, or they're not just warm bath water all the time or whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. That's okay. That's really good. Um, how okay so you think that a after the going back on the simulation stuff is this mm -hmm. you, the simulation solution is more 
I don't know even know the right word. Is it more plausible than diabolical and fall theodicies to you? Uh, I don't know. I it's probably more plausible than the fall. Well, yeah, I don't know. What I say in the paper is there are certain problems that the other views have that it avoids. Okay. Um, it does seem awfully weird to think that we're in a computer simulation. <laughs> so, right. um, even though it can also be hard to spell out exactly why it's so weird when you've got this argument for it and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so um, I think my my official view, I'm not totally sure. I, I kind of have actually gotten a little more sympathetic to demon views than okay. the paper. I think Me maybe, too, after your paper, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Um, uh so um uh what was i saying um yeah i i i don't what i think is that the other views have certain problems that the simulation view solves and so if you're worried about those problems then you have reasons to, to think about the simulation view and add it maybe as like one you know there's some chance that it's right and then there's some chance that this other one is right and so on yeah um yeah. yeah, I think that one's really cool, man, because, again, I, I get this a lot when I'm sharing my faith on college campus. I get the simulation hypothesis a lot no, and really. and a lot, like a lot, a lot. People always ask me, why are you always talking about simulation hypothesis? Because like, I get it on at Northwestern all the time. People are like, well, whatever. And a lot of it's because Joe Rogan and I work with wrestlers and they listen to Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman. And that's OK, because um, I do, too. And a lot of a lot of times for them. But uh it's cool because I, you can just pull out your paper and be like, well, actually, if we are in a simulation, now we have, you don't get to say, you know, God's bad for having that tsunami anymore. <laughs> so it just, it's just like another tool in the, in the, yeah. and it's fun. I'm not going to try and like stump people, but it's fun to, to think through this kind of stuff. Um, but they don't get to use the simulation to say there's no God because now we can pull out psychophysical yeah. harmony. It's so good. Um, Dustin, man, this has been huge. I, I really, I really, again, I like your work. I'm glad that you're not just sticking with uh, one project. Uh, <laughs> Can you let us in? Like, what what are you thinking about lately? Is there anything that you're that you're working on at the moment? Um, yeah. Well, I'm. I think I'm going to start a, a YouTube channel. Actually, nice. Um, I, I've I've uh, I've got an interview lined up that hopefully will be this week or next week. Awesome, man. Uh, so it's I have like a profile just under my own name. So that's that's where I will be. Okay. Um, I'm uh, I'm I'm working on a book with Kevin Vallier, um, which is very different from any of this stuff. Totally, uh, it's called Fifty Puzzles, Paradoxes, and Thought Experiments in Politics, Philosophy, and Economics." Oh, that sounds sweet. Yeah, so it's I thought it was going to be on guns, but no, yeah, <laughs> this is good too. Um, it's uh, it's uh, yeah, under contract with Rutledge. It's part of a series that they're doing on different topics and philosophy. So. Um, I had a lot of teaching this past quarter, so I've fallen behind on that. So I need to be working on that. Okay. Um, and I'm working on some other stuff about about uh, the moral status of animals. Oh, that's um, awesome. Uh, yeah. So. Okay. Man, well, I, I'd love to, to coax you into coming back on, especially the animal oh, stuff yeah. sounds great. Um, and then, yeah, uh, yeah, hopefully when you, I mean, whenever I see that uh, that your channel up and running, I'll put the link in the description. So everyone who's watching this now, check it to see if, if the link's in there now. Um, but yeah, Dustin, this has been awesome, man. I, I appreciate your work. Appreciate the way you think. Uh, I'm glad, I'm glad we can disagree on some stuff. There's some other stuff where I'm like, oh man, Dustin's crazy. Like, what's he going with that? And then I'm like, oh, I better not ask him about where we disagree because <laughs> he'll eat my lunch live. Um, so dude, yeah, I, I seriously appreciate, uh, the way you think. I'm, um, uh, a big fan mm -hmm. of your work and please come back on. Yeah. Yeah, sure.
Awesome. All right, folks. Well, that's going to have to do it. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.